My name is Cody. I'm an ICU travel nurse, and I've created this podcast, Care Made Critical, to tell you a story. When you and your loved ones have to come to ICU, there's a point where we, as the medical providers, we take over, and you or your family member, you're asked to wait in the waiting room. Then there's a gap of time. And in that gap of time lies life or death. I'm honored to be in this gap of time. I'm honored to have shared this gap of time with both those who've lived and those who've died. I'm honored to share the difference between what people think happens versus the reality of the situation. How thin is the line between life and death? These are their stories. In this podcast, I will not state any specific hospitals, patients, date of birth, dates, or any other personal identifiers. I will only state broad information so listeners can paint their own mental picture. Welcome to Season 2 of Care Made Critical, where I'm assigned to one of the top trauma hospitals in the South. Ranked not only one of the top violent cities in the country, but also one of the most dangerous cities to drive in, averaging more than 100 automobile accidents daily. Prepare yourself for the ups, the downs, the highs, the lows. Lace up your shoes and join me as I'm walking in Memphis. Fifty-five-year-old John Doe, diagnosed with pet struck versus eighteen-wheeler. This is his story. Alrighty. So first off, um, I want to define what pet struck, um, what that is. When you hear pet struck versus eighteen-wheeler, pet struck versus motor vehicle, pet struck versus car. Um, What that pretty much means is a pedestrian. It's our way of saying pedestrian struck by whatever. Um, Pedestrian struck by a pole. Pedestrian struck by um, whatever that verse is, is what the pedestrian was struck by. And so in this situation, uh, we have a pedestrian struck verse 18-wheeler, which, I mean, when you hear that, you're going to think significant injuries. And um, what is sad about this, uh, it happens more than anybody wants it to happen. It happens a lot. Um, Whether it's people who simply walk out in front of vehicles, whether it's people who simply um, don't look both ways. Something you learn when you're a child, look both ways before you cross the street. Um, Some people think that the car is just going to stop for them. Well, here's the thing. If that car doesn't stop, the results could be fatal, you know, so um, that's something that we definitely have to keep in mind. So he arrived by air, um, and I definitely want to give a huge shout out to a lot of our flight nurses who, you know, 
when they come to these scenes and they have to transport the patient from literally the street to the to the hospital, they do a phenomenal job of simply keeping um, a lot of these people alive until they get to our facilities uh, with very little resources. They're literally in the air doing what we do on the ground. And, you know, a lot of what they do goes unseen, but... You know they do a great job of just uh, keeping the patient alive until they until they reach us. So um, this gentleman wasn't in good shape. Uh, his his injuries consisted of um, he was unresponsive on arrival, which means you know whether we try to shake him, do a sternal rub, anything, he he doesn't react to it. He was intubated, uh, which means um, the, the machine is either partially or fully breathing for the patient. Um, he had two separate skull fractures. Uh, he had uh, hemorrhage on both sides of his brain, uh, bleeding on both sides of his brain. He had a right pneumothorax to his lung. Um, uh, MRI also confirmed that he also suffered a stroke. Uh, which which probably is caused by all the trauma that he had to his brain from the accident. Um, this gentleman had multiple broken bones, multiple broken bones. I remember looking at him, um, you know, taking care of him that night, and he had continuous uh, bleeding from his nose that we, we really couldn't stop. Um, so... This gentleman was in really bad shape. His prognosis wasn't wasn't good, um, obviously. Uh, but I remember that night. One of the biggest things that stuck out to me was he was literally a John Doe. You know, we we had no idea who this who this gentleman was, and no ID, no you know nothing to identify him in his pockets, and it just made me think that. You know, if you had loved ones out there that you hadn't talked to in, you know, months or years, um, you know, could they be laid up in a hospital in this situation right now? Um, when it comes to him being 55, that, that's just an exclamation. Uh, we have really no idea how old he is. We have no idea of his birthday. We don't know who this gentleman is. And, you know, the only thing I can think of was he had a family somewhere. Um, that had no idea that, you know, um, of the condition he was in. So uh, it made me, you know, do a lot of self-reflection. You know, who knows why he was in the situation he was in. We have a lot of mental health that you have people who just leave, you know, leave their families and they're on the street. And as crazy as it sounds, they get hit by cars. They're just another John Doe, you know, and it's the next one. So. You know, uh, unfortunately, this gentleman didn't make it. He uh, he expired, I would say, an hour, three, you know, the two hours after he arrived. Uh, we could not stabilize him, which, you know, unfortunately wasn't a huge surprise. He was in really, really bad shape. Um, and he coded and he expired, and we had no family to even call to let him know that, hey, your father, your grandfather, your uncle, your brother, um, your cousin, has been hit by a vehicle and unfortunately, um, unfortunately didn't make it through the night. Hey, I just want to take a quick break to thank everyone for listening. 
If you're listening and you haven't subscribed yet, please feel free to do so. You can uh, find Care Made Critical on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Music, and Amazon. If you've already subscribed, thank you. And hey, please continue to listen and enjoy. Twenty-one-year-old John Doe, diagnosed with MVA rollover. This is his story. So we have a 21-year-old male, uh, John Doe, um, MVA rollover. And let's define uh, MVA rollover. Uh, It's a motor vehicle accident rollover. And what that pretty much means is you're in a car accident and that car rolls over uh, either one time or multiple times. And... You know, that's good to know because it lets uh, the healthcare providers kind of gauge the amount of trauma and the amount of injuries to the patient, um, which this, this young man, he definitely sustained a lot of injuries. Um, he arrived by ground. Um, the ambulance brought him into the hospital. And uh, his injuries were very extensive. He had a bifrontal brain injury or a cerebral Contusion, uh, in layman's terms, is pretty much bruising to both sides of the brain, and this was a uh, is definitely considered a severe uh, brain injury. And when we have injuries like this, um, before the like the doctor takes him to surgery, uh, a lot of times the doctor will place a what we call a bolt inside the patient's head. And feel free to Google it. A bolt, just Google bolt um, for. So, you know, trauma, uh, brain injury. So you can kind of get a visual. And what this does is it it monitors the patient's ICP. And what that means is their intracranial pressure. And that is important to know because if it gets too high, that lets the, the nurse, that lets the uh, neurosurgeon know that the patient is, his, the pressure inside the head is building too too high. And once it gets too high and it stays that high, then, you know, we'll call neuro, we'll call neurosurgery. And nine times out of ten, the doctor will have to take them to surgery immediately to release that pressure. You, how our heads work, our brains work, there's a certain amount of pressure that's supposed to be there. If it gets too high, you know, that could lead to a lot more brain damage. And with this young man, it was crucial that we monitor his, um, his the pressure that that he had in his head simply because of the extent of the injury that he sustained to his brain. He also had several um, vertebrae fractures in his back, which you know which kind of sucks because I mean he's 21 years old and when it comes to these injuries, a lot of times uh, the patient has long-term um, spinal cord or nerve damage. You know, so even if he survived this, um, there's long-term, uh, long-term issues to consider. Um, also, when it comes to the body, uh, what's really interesting. So he had multiple rib fractures on both sides. And what I want you to picture is your ribs and your sternum 
are meant to protect your vital organs, your heart, your liver, lungs, all that. And in this situation, um, both sides were fractured for him. So then those very, you know, parameters that are meant to protect the vital organs then becomes the enemy pretty much to the vital organs because now they're fractured and they can puncture those same vital organs that they're supposed to be protecting. And that's exactly what happened to this young man. Um, the several ribs that were fractured then punctured uh, his liver, his lungs, um, his heart. Um, the most extensive injury was a uh, blunt aortic injury that he sustained, which is a which pretty much is a direct uh, injury to the heart. Um, when he you know when he got here, he was rushed to surgery. Uh, which they opened his stomach and tried to repair as much uh, as possible, pretty much stopping the bleeding. Let's stop the bleeding and then see pretty much what happens after that. So um, this gentleman, I want you to kind of picture this. He's laying in the bed. Uh, his stomach is pretty much open. Uh, after surgery, they don't close the stomach back up. They open it to give it room to heal. You don't want to have surgery on your stomach and then immediately close it up. Um, just because if there is swelling, it could it can do further damage. So in you know traumatic injuries like this, the patient's literally laying in bed with his stomach open. Um, also, when it comes to the lower uh, the lower part of his body, he had a left uh, his left leg was broken, and when you have situations like that, he had a traction on that left leg, and he had. Um, weights that were pretty much weighing down the bottom of the leg to pretty much keep the the bone straight you don't want the bone you know just turned or anything like that because before um usually before they have surgery like ortho surgery bones ortho before they have those surgeries you want your patient to be cleared by neuro and by cardio you want to make sure um before you just have surgeries, you want to make sure that the the most important the, the most important organs of the body are getting fixed before you go and fix a leg or an arm. You want to make sure the heart is stable. You want to make sure the the brain is stable. So um, the fixing his leg was kind of you know definitely days uh, days away from happening. We really wanted to wait to see what was going to happen with the brain uh, with his ICPs. And we wanted to wait to see um, the extent of the injuries to his heart. And so, you know, throughout the night, throughout my shift, uh, we did stabilize him, thankfully. Um, you know, clearly, ho hopefully he wasn't going to die that night, which he didn't. How long he was going to live, you know, only time would tell. But what I really remember about this, uh, this gentleman and his story was that his grandma called, um, you know, throughout the night. And, you know, the... You know, the biggest thing she wanted me to make sure that I did was make sure I put a blanket around him because she knew he got cold at night. And it really hit me um, because a lot of times as healthcare providers, we only have the power that we have. You know, at this time, we did not have the power to save this young man. You know, we had the power to stabilize him. But, you know, it. I love the part about nursing in regards to... You know, we can have all the medications, we can have all the surgeries, but if me simply putting a blanket around a young man can put the mind at ease of his family member, then that literally makes my night. I don't have the power to save him, but I do have the power to make him more comfortable.
I want to take a quick break to thank all my listeners. Uh, if you haven't subscribed, please feel free to do so. Care Make Critical is on all major podcasting platforms. Also, please follow me on uh, Facebook and on Instagram. You can find both by searching Care Made Critical. Thank you. Nineteen-year-old John Doe diagnosed with NVC versus semi. This is his story. Alrighty, so we have a 19-year-old male, uh, John Doe. Uh, he was diagnosed with MVC versus semi. And, you know, what is MVC versus semi? Um, that is a motor vehicle crash versus a semi-vehicle, semi-truck. Um, that's just our way of, you know, compacting it and pushing it back out. Uh, he arrived by air. Um, which once again, if you have a patient who's arriving by air, you kind of, you definitely pay more attention. You're just because you know that whatever's going on with this patient, they have to get him to where he has to get to right now. And his injuries consisted of a grade three D AI, um, and that's a diffuse axonal injury, uh, pretty much the tearing of the brain's connecting nerve fibers. Uh, which usually is caused by a shifting of the brain or rotating of the brain inside the skull. So, if that sounds terrible, it is. Um, The brain is definitely not supposed to move inside your skull. Uh, This could definitely affect all motor skills. It can uh, affect, you know, verbal. It can affect, um, it can affect everything about that patient's body, which in this patient you'll kind of see yourself. Um, he also had a fracture and rupturing of multiple uh, vertebrae in his back, which is going to leave this 19-year-old male paralyzed for the rest of his life. And in this situation, he was not only paralyzed, but his muscles began to contract. So he was contracted in the bed, um, and he was paralyzed. Um, another thing with, um, it kind of goes back to the brain injury, we couldn't control his temperature and that is like classic TBI traumatic brain injury Um, when the brain is injured once again it literally affects everything from the top of the patient's head to the bottom of their feet sensation motor skills um, everything everything in the body pretty much runs through the brain and uh, he was uh, when it comes to respiratory wise he was trait. He had been intubated for days before I before I had had this young man, and they trait him because they couldn't they couldn't wean him from the vent. Which, when you, especially in this case, when you hear that, uh, his prognosis of him ever breathing on his own are almost none. He will until the day he passes away. He's he's going to need a ventilator to help him breathe. Um. You know, just looking at his orientation, he he wasn't tracking. I would talk to him. He he would just be dazed off. Um, he was once again nonverbal. He there was very little brain activity um, going on with him. Um, once you know, he was stable, but the the road to getting better was 
you know, very meek. It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't looking good. And sometimes you're in situations where the patient's not actively dying, but they're definitely not actively getting better either. And, you know, I remember this, uh, this situation, this young man, I remember seeing his dad, his dad was at bedside. And um, my heart went out to him. You know, I don't have children, but to see a father looking at his son, you know, if, if heartbroken had a look, if it had a face, then, you know, his dad definitely wore that, wore that face that night. And, you know, even as I left that morning, his dad was still there. And I just knew that at one point or another, you know, that father was going to have to make some really tough decisions on, you know, whether to keep his son in that state, keep him, you know, pretty much lying in the bed as a vegetable, or if he was going to decide to, um, decide to withdraw care. And, you know, it's... It's parts about, you know, this career and this job and this calling that, you know, it's always moments like these, you know, that you'll go home and you'll think about it. You will. You know, you try not to take work home, per se, but, you know, I clock out that morning. I go home and I have breakfast and I take a shower and I walk the dog and that father's still there with that son. And... You know, my thoughts and prayers always, you know, goes out to, you know, the families, uh, especially, you know, the patient, yes, for sure. But when a patient's injured or when whatever happens to that patient, you know, it, it doesn't just affect that patient. It definitely affects that family, the friends, the whole branch, the whole family tree, if you'll say. So, you know, that night, um, that morning, rather, I went home definitely with them both on my mind my thoughts and my prayers. In this season's first Meaningful Moment segment, I really want to discuss um, car accidents. Um, in this city, there's around 100 motor vehicle accidents per day. Uh, that's about four per hour and one every 14 minutes. What can we do about this? Um, this, you know, while every accident isn't preventable, some are. Um, you know, rush hour, uh, it's the hours between 3 p.m. and 6 p.m. You know, a lot of us have to be on the road at that time, so let's drive slower. If someone's trying to get over, let them over. If you're trying to get over, just use your turn signal and wait. Uh, wear your seatbelt. Wearing your seatbelt is still one of the biggest um, factors to help even if you get into a car accident, it helps prevent so many injuries. Wear your seatbelt. Make sure that if people are riding with you, they wear their seatbelt. Um, one of the obvious things, please don't drink and drive. If you've, you know, drank a little bit before uh, you're about driving, give it some time. Call an Uber. Have someone sober drive you, you know. Um, it's... One thing I want you to think about uh, when you get, you know, when you're when you driving, you get behind a, the the wheel of a car. You know, it it actually can be a, a weapon. A lot of us don't look at it like that. We look at, you know, guns or knives or, you know, things like that. Um, a car can be a very dangerous weapon. And in this very city, people are dying 
and being permanently damaged every day, every day by motor vehicle accidents. So please, please slow down Memphis. I would like to thank everybody for um, listening to this week's um, episode. Um, my motivation behind even starting Care Made Critical was really to tell a story of a lot of men and women who may never be able to tell that same story themselves. Um, please, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram. You can follow me on both at uh, Care Made Critical. You can just search Care Made Critical, and I'm on both um, Facebook and Instagram. Please send me a direct message, and I will definitely get back with you. Uh, Once again, thank you, and I'll talk to you next week.